Voxel is creating really active visual, tiny piece of tissues. That's what we are doing. So um, instead of using a human tissue, we are doing that artificially. And the idea now is to use these artificial biopsy samples that I like to call, or as we call in Voxel, our human-like tissues to test drugs. The beauty of these tissues is they actually have blood vessels. So we're able to create um, blood vessels. So now the same way that drugs are injected through our blood vessels, that's how the drugs are injected in our artificial tissues, in our little piece of, of tumor. Yeah, that's what we are doing mm-hmm. at Voxel. Three D printers, definitely not just my COVID fixation. Welcome to How It's Med, the podcast where we chat with people who are shaping the future of health tech and med tech. Last time around, we learned about Dr. Carolina Valente's journey from Brazil to Europe, then to Canada. This time around, we build on that and learn about how Carolina built Voxel Bio Innovation, a company that's shaping the future of drug development, specifically first in the development of drugs for breast cancer through 3D bioprinting? Let's get started. And you just gave a little bit of a tease of Voxel there, but I'm not gonna let I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna delve in the conversation quite yet because we're still at the at the point in time when you were doing your PhD yeah. and you were beginning to use 3D bioprinting. And yes. that is the other aspect of Voxel that it we should really talk about. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So how did how did the 3D bioprinting thing come into your come into your world? Yeah, so after doing all the studies in the microfluidic devices and learning a lot of insights of the impact of the tumor microenvironment in this delivery of the drug, I thought, what if now I could actually use real tissues and try to mimic that? And, and I remember going, taking the bus, going to the BC Cancer Agency here to get those tissues, and, and they, they were real biopsy samples, and they were a pain to use. They come fixed. So which means that they come, they come stable and they have resin around. So they cut that piece of tissue for you. And it's very, very fragile to use. It's very thin samples. And it's, it's, it, they gave me in, in, this, um, in dry ice. So it has to be kept cold. Otherwise, it melts. It makes a mess. So, and I remember thinking, oh my God, this is, it was so hard to get that little piece of tissue that I got from the VC Cancer Agency. And I thought there has to be a way to do this artificially before we go into real human tissue. And I thought, well, can I try a couple of bioprinting techniques? And that's in the in on campus here. I had a lot of um, access to a lot of bioprinters at that point. And they were mostly extrusion-based printers. So the bioprinting field was born after the 3D printing field. And then the extrusion-based printers, they were basically an FDM regular filament plastic printer uh, creating 2D layers and stack it on top of each other to create a 3D structure. Um, and, um, and then the, the, the extrusion-based printers, the resolution was so low that I thought if I want to create something that actually mimics an artificial biopsy sample, I can't do on this. This is very, very low resolution. The resolution is around 300 microns to give an idea where a capillary vessel, for example, can go, can be one micron. So you need something that has that capability to go very, very high resolution. So then, and that's when I thought, well, 
if I don't have a printer for me that does what I want, I might as well create my own printer. That's where the path of my PhD, I was, I was trying to wrap it up. My supervisor was telling me like, just stop. Um, and people normally finish their PhDs with about maybe one or two, three papers. Sometimes I had already 13 papers at that point. My supervisor was telling me, just please graduate. Just please stop. <laughs> just, just, please like, go away. Enough, you have enough. You have enough. <laughs> just, just please go. I'll move on with your life. At that point, I already had I, I, I already had three offers of postdocs. I had offers from the Mayo Clinic. I had offers from Stanford. And I had offers from Washington University. So I already had postdocs lined up. And my supervisor was saying, just please like, graduate, just let's go do something else. And then so the bioprinting was nothing in my thesis. My thesis was really heavy on microfluidics. And then the deliver of um, radiotherapy enhances to the microfluidics, to the tumor area using microfluidics. But um, I got quite fascinated by bioprinting because I thought that was the perfect example of how interdisciplinary engineering can be of how an engine, like a, a, a device could have so much impact on, on the medical field if done properly. Uh, and at that point, that's when I had the idea to create my own printer. And I thought, okay, um, I heard about this before, about the university taking IP, so I might as well read the IP policy before I do anything <laughs> here. And that's where I spend um, some of my time doing that while writing my thesis. And that was in the middle of COVID. So that was uh, fall 2020, summer and fall 2020. So that's when it got really bad. I cannot really shut down completely. It was summer 2020. So I was at home uh, writing my thesis and reading. And then working on things uh, over the weekend um, in order to create my own printer. So that was the path from PhD in microfluidics to bioprinting into um, voxels. Uh, honestly, at this <laughs> at this point, you're just combining so many different fields and with 13 papers. Like I, I agree. At that point, I, if I was your if I was your if I was your supervisor, I'd be like, just just move on, please. <laughs> yeah. But you you got an offer from Mayo. You got an offer from other institutions as well that anyone would be happy to take. But you're not at Mayo Clinic. Why? No. Um, I know, right? Yeah. Um. I graduated in August 2020, and um, I was actually ready to go. I sold everything that I had in Canada, sold my car, sold everything, all my furniture, everything, and then I just got cold feet. It was about maybe uh, one or two weeks before the fl my flight. I had a ticket, I had a house, I had everything. Um, and I just got cold feet. And I think it was at that point, COVID was pretty bad in the US. And then I was always a brave person. And so I wonder if Canada made me a little bit soft uh, at that point. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, was to walk 16 hours a day every day. So not too soft, but um, I just got cold feet. And then at that point, I had, I had to make a decision if I wanted to start Voxel or not. And I remember talking to the, the father of one of my co-founders. And his father was telling me, like, you, you have to do this. 
And then when he said that, you have to do it. And I remember asking, why, Graham? Like, why do I have to do it? And he said, because you can't. And I live it by that my entire life. If I can't do it, why am I not doing it? So that kind of resonates to me that, well, I can do it and I can make a difference here. Um, so I should do it. So Voxel got incorporated in, in more or less the same time that I had defended my PhD. And, um, and um, I decided to stay. At that point, it was a very risky move because I had no jobs in Canada. I had nothing. And I had rejected three very good offers from U.S. Um, and I said, okay, I might as well um, find something to do. So I remember applying for a job at UBC and I got the job uh, in the biomedical um, engineering um, uh, school at UBC. And then UVic heard <laughs> and made me a better offer to stay. Um, so December 2020, that was when I became an assistant teaching professor here at UVic. Yeah. And that doesn't Big happen fish very... meets small pond. Yes. And that doesn't happen very often because it's yeah. not, it's very rare that you do your PhD and then become a faculty at the same uh, school. But um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> why do you think that made, they, they made that exception? Um, I, I, I don't know exactly if it is an exception, if that's what it's called, it's just rare. Um, but I, I have been nothing but excellent in terms of my teaching skills. Uh, that one, I'm a hundred percent sure I have. I remember students writing in my feedback review to the chair saying, make her a professor. We need her here. Uh, so I had students pledging for me, which was great. Um, but I have, I have, I, I created new courses here at UVic while I was still a PhD student. So I create courses that are now fully accredited and part of the engineering program. Uh, I created new labs that did not exist before I, I came here. Uh, a lot of the engineering course didn't have any hands-on experience at all. People had never seen a big lab before. I created all of that. Um, and, uh, and, uh, Yep. So I did a lot for, for UVEC in terms of the biomedical engineering program. And um, I just love teaching them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, along the path to where you are now, you also ran into a now competitor company. I'm not going to mention yeah. them. You can mention yeah. them if you want. And you <laughs> yeah. interviewed for them. I did. Tell us about that story. <laughs> I did. Um, that was again when I was oh, during my PhD and during uh, starting to use these different bioprinters that I had available on campus. And I encountered a local company, um, Bioprinter, and I used their bioprinter and I said, mm, this is not how I want. I have so many ideas on how to change this. Um, and the resolution is not what I want. But Again, the piece of engineering to get to that point, that's what was, okay, this is quite interesting. And I think I can change a couple of things in here. And I remember uh, the person from that company, Relief, was, I, I, I don't remember exactly the title of the person that came here to train us on that bioprinter. And I remember telling him, look, why are you guys doing this? Why don't you do that, things and that? And then he looked at me and I said, I'm looking for a job. <laughs> so again, that's all about creating opportunities for yourself. And I, I told him, look, I'm looking for a job. So I applied and I got to the interview and I got to speak to, to the vice president of teacher engineering of their company. And I remember telling him, um, if you get me, you not just get 
my knowledge, because I do have the knowledge in the bio printing, I do have the knowledge in the biomaterial side, but I also have this idea for a better printer. Um, <laughs> and that was a bold move, but um, again, you, the worst answer is no. And that's that. You already have a no if you don't try. And I live by that every single day, uh, even with investors. And we, I'm sure we're going to get to that point. But um, I remember telling him, well, I have an idea for a better printer. And that's what you get when you, when you offer me the job. And they did offer me the job. But they also said at that point they were fundraising. And I understand exactly what that means right now, that they are really focused on accomplishing milestones. And I really respected that, uh, but I decided to start my own company <laughs> instead of merging to, <laughs> with them. So, so that where, where it took me to box out you. Okay. So <laughs> now we come to the point where you can explain to a five-year-old how yeah. Voxel works. Yeah. Can you do that for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As I said, Voxel is creating really artificial, tiny piece of tissues. That's what we are doing. So um, instead of using a human tissue, we are doing that artificially. And the idea now is to use these artificial biopsy samples that I like to call, or as we call in Voxel, our human-like tissues to test drugs. The beauty of these tissues is they actually have blood vessels. So we're able to create um, blood vessels. So now the same way that drugs are injected through our blood vessels, that's how the drugs are injected in our artificial tissues, in our little piece of, of tumor. Yeah, that's why we are doing mm -hmm. a box out. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that the, the main use case right now is in testing drugs and seeing how they permeate throughout the tissues. Um, yeah. I, I guess, like, what are the downstream effects of this? Who will it benefit or like, what are the knock? second order or third order effects of what you'll be able to accomplish with such a tissue sample that's able to mimic the microenvironment? Yeah, able to mimic the microenvironment in terms of mechanical and chemical properties, but also the blood vessels. It's um, any, right now we are talking about oncology, that's our focus. We don't want to stay just in oncology, but that's our main focus because the vasculature is very, very important. So any small molecules at this point can be introduced in our tissue. That means chemotherapy, any chemotherapy drug can be introduced and you see the effect of that drug permeating through the tissue as you mentioned. It's actually mimicking resistance to actually dying from the cancer cell side because of that tumor environment. We are creating different versions of our tissues that are applicable for chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and hormonal therapy. So we have different versions. And right now we are starting with breast cancer. And again, that's my background. That's where I led from my mom all the way to my PhD, all the way to Voxel. But we want to go to lung, ovarian, prostate in a few years. And we also want to start tapping towards neural diseases later on. Um, so that's the future for Voxel. Mm -hmm. And just to make sure that we frame what Voxel is doing within the mm -hmm. grand scheme of yeah. drug development, if that's yeah. where you're going, which I think you are, it is. Yeah. Um, then how does it fit with the current schema? Because yeah. to, for those listeners who aren't as familiar with how drugs are developed, before you yeah. develop a drug, you got to figure out which molecule you're going to get, yeah. how it's going to attach the receptor, and then you have to test it. 
um, mm-hmm. with ADME, with uh, not yeah. only in vitro, so cells in a glass yeah. tube, but also yeah. in animals. In and animals. then it goes into clinical trials. So yeah. where in this broad continuum does Voxel fit? Yeah, no, that was a great sort of overview. So, so again, going back, drugs are synthesized and you have these different drugs and then drugs are tested in cells directly. You deposit the drugs on the cells and then you see the effect on the cells. And then normally now people move to animal models, which means that the drugs are then injected in mice and rabbits and so on. And then the most promising ones go to people. The challenge is from the tests done in the lab all the way to people, the translation in oncology is less than 8%. So there's a less than 10% translation between those it's results. Wild. It is, it is. And then when you go to animal models specifically, 68% of the drugs fail. When you go to people, 95% of the drugs fail <laughs> in oncology. So there is a lot of flaw in this process. So what Voxel is creating is a better bridge between lab and people. And again, going back to that artificial human-like sample, what we want to be able to provide is more information in these small tumors that will be more reliably mimic what happens inside of the human body because it has those blood vessels. We are trying to replace the these we are not going to replace the monolayers because the monolayers are beneficial because they're quick. So you have very fast information in the beginning, but we are trying to replace everything that comes after the monolayers. People sometimes use spheroids and organoids because of the 3D environment. There's a lot of flaws with that. So we are trying to replace that and also the initial tests done in animal models. So the animal model industry, there's a lot of impact in the environment and there's a lot of animals used every single year so there is a humane humanitarian side on on that aspect but so we are trying to replace the initial tests done in animal models by being able to mimic that very complex uh, blood vessel architecture and increase that decrease that gap or increase that translatable data between lab all the way um to humans so the idea is to be able to eliminate the drugs that do not work sooner instead of carrying that information to animal models and to people later on. And that's what Voxel is doing in our tissue models. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that, I guess, if I were to think about the effects of that, that would mean that we would spend less time as well yeah. as less money in Absolutely. developing drugs that don't end up turning out or failing down the line, right? Absolutely. So we are trying to decrease at uh, the time of the preclinical testing by providing a more reliable platform. The preclinical testing takes about two to three years. So even if you can decrease that by 20 to 30 percent, you can see the effect in time. And of course, the end goal, as you said, is allowing those promising therapies to get to the market sooner and to get to the hands of people that actually need. The drug development process right now, it takes about 15 years. With a 95% failure rate, that does not seem a very promising um, path. So decreasing that time and allowing the correct therapies to go to animal models and go to people, the most promising ones will allow to increase that, to decrease that failure rate um, and to put the therapies in the market sooner for the hands of people that actually need. Yeah. And talking about preclinical drug development as well as those clinical trials, the savings are probably in the hundreds of millions. 
which exactly. means that you're able to run through more drug candidates with the savings that you get as a result yeah. of not going through with drug candidates that would otherwise fail. Absolutely. And that's all the, the other beauty of our teaching models. They are very, very high resolution and they are small because they are very high resolution. You don't actually need um, a lot of sample. And when you don't need a lot of tissue in terms of size, in terms of volume, you can do high throughput screening. So you can have multiple tissues running the same drug in a very, very small quantity, multiple times. So you can have a lot of reliable information. The tissues that we are creating can even be sectioned later on for a visualization of the microscope the same way um, that human samples are. Um, so um, accelerating that, as you said, the preclinical, it's something about 300 to 500 million decreasing that time, let's say by 30%, by decreasing by a year. And that it is the saving that we are estimating to be something around a hundred million plus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in the end, who would be using the printer? Um, the printer right now, what Voxel is doing is we are keeping the printer in house. So we are keeping all the IP with us and we are selling, we are going to be selling the end of this year and um, the tissue models ready. So our idea, as I was saying, for the breast cancer that we are releasing is to have a version that is the chemotherapy version, the hormonal therapy version, and then the radiation therapy version. The radiation therapy has a little bit more interesting properties on the vasculature that is really specific for radiation. Um, and to be selling those tissues as standard tissue models. The resolution of our printer is um, 500 nanometers. So it's 600 times higher than what I was saying, the average 300 micrometer extrusion printer resolution, which means that the tissue variation between the samples is very, very low. So we are not introducing more variation to the preclinical testing um, step. We are providing a better platform for drugs to be tested in a more human-like way through the vasculature as it happens inside of the body. So we'll be holding the printer in house at least for this year, next year, and be selling the consumables directly on the market. And because we are creating these tissue models with our own bio inks, and I like to refer to the bio inks as a printer's cartridge, the same way that you go to Walmart and buy a cartridge for your printer at home, that's what our bio inks are. And we are making our bio inks to be universal. And what I mean by that is compatible with any other bio printer, independent on the type, whether it's a laser based or not, we are making our bio inks compatible with um, any other printer. So we are going to be putting these bio inks on the market in August this year. So the idea is now going from the tissue models, which we are targeting to really be CROs, pharma contract research organizations and pharma. We are also going with the bio inks to be more of academia and research centers, people that already have their bioprinter and are just looking for a better ink that in our case mimics the cancer environment. Mm -hmm. So just listening to all of this between bio inks, bioprinters, fundraising, managing a team, <laughs> teaching, like learning how to operate a company while maintaining and coming from an academic background is, is difficult. The skill sets don't yeah. overlap as much as I'd like. So how have you managed to develop those skill sets and have you managed to choose to write mentors to guide you on your business development journey, given the fact that you've just, you've been thrown into it and you've had to yeah. do this? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I remember last year sitting with my, my former PhD supervisor and asking him, because when I was doing my PhD with him, he had a, almost a, like a 20 people group because it was a large group. So more or less the same size as Voxel right now. And asking him, how 
he managed to manage the science, but also the different personalities, the different people that they had. And they said, Carol, this is what people don't teach you. You learn with practice. People don't teach you at when you're doing your PhD, how to manage people. They teach you how to do the science. And then for me, that was a high learning curve. So I got a lot of mentors from when I did the I2I program with SFU. And I also did other entrepreneurship programs here I'm from UVic. And I started learning all that soft skills that are also required when learning, when, when um, creating a business. The science I know very well. I learned the business side quickly enough. And of course, I still need some help on that. I, I don't have a business background, but I learned it quickly enough. Um, and that soft skills of leading instead of just managing. And I think that's the most important part is I keep saying to people that I lead, I do not manage. I have people to manage for me, but my whole goal is to make sure that people are happy in this environment and they are working quite hard to make Boxel a successful company with having that goal in mind of accelerating drugs, but being also inspired by, by the whole mission and the vision that we have in the company. So learning how to, to um, balance that people's skills, I think that for me was the, the biggest learning curve last year. I thought that was one, one size fits all, and it's definitely not. So I started learning that people have different personalities and that we need to have different approaches. Um, and um, so it has been quite, quite rewarding for me to see. Just out of curiosity, a lot of our people at Voxel, they all have been my, most of them have been my students in the past. So, so that was something that for me was quite easy to, to, um, collect the appropriate talent, to select the appropriate talents um, to put in this company. And for most of them, this is actually their first job, their first real job. So it has been very rewarding. Be, 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 beyond the business, it has been very rewarding to see these individuals becoming the successful people that they now are, learning this, the business skills, learning from this first job that they are having. And we are working at a very fast pace, and I'm, I'm very proud of all of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you that next. Like, what is it like working <laughs> alongside your students? Because that's, that's a pretty unique circumstance to face overall. Like, I, I'm, I, I believe you do have external hires as well. We and do. I guess mm -hmm. my question to you would be like, what is the contrast between working with your previous students versus working with the external hire? Um, I think everyone that works at Voxel, um, it, it's they really see my vision and um and um i keep it joking with people saying i can teach the science i'm not worried about people joining us and not having the science background i cannot teach personality so if people have the right personality and they work hard and they understand the mission the vision the science i can teach for my students that already have multiple courses with me of course they grab the science much quicker because they already know my teaching skills and so on. And for the new hires, took a little bit more time to get used to the science part, but with the right personality. And I think that's what this amazing group have right now. It's that common personality, that driving force. Um, I think it's it's all clicking very very well. Mm -hmm. So just as a, a as a <laughs> last thing to close this off, 
If there is one way that listeners who have exposure to work in drug development and research relevant to Voxel could help uh, to, to move the platform and the company forward, what would it be? I don't, I don't think I have one wish. I have multiple wishes, so I'm going to wish for everything yeah. right now because you gave me the room to do that. Um, so Voxel right now is looking, of course, for partnerships. We are looking to pharmaceutical companies, research centers, our academic people that want to partner with us and try our tissue models. Um, as I was saying in the beginning, we are also fundraising right now our pre-seed round, so we still have around 30 to 40% of the round to close. We did our first closing in the beginning in April. So we are looking for the remaining right now. And we are always looking for talented people. So look us up at voxelbio.com. Um, and, um, and we are always looking for new and talented people to join us. You, 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 you took my say voxelbio.com, <laughs> oh, but that's okay. Oh, you, you can did my say job it for again. Me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and you can find voxel at voxelbio.com and you can find how it's med at, at how it's med or how it's med.com. Thank you, Carolina, for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Jack, for having me. <laughs> thank you for tuning in to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like, and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us. If you can't do that, then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.